Keep your car looking its absolute best year-round with 303 Cleaners and Protectants. 303's revolutionary graphene nanospray coating gives you professional protection in a simple, easy-to-use formula. It will keep your car's paint protected for up to 12 months and give an insane level of depth and gloss. You can also use their brand new 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine throughout the year. It can even be used for quick cleanups of light dust and fingerprints in between washes. For a one-two punch to keep your car licking its best, look no further than 303's line of graphene products. 303 Graphene Nano Spray Coating to protect and 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine. Both products are available now at Advanced Auto Parts, AutoZone, and select Walmart locations. Visit 303radio.com for more information. Every search you make, every click you take, they'll be watching you. Are you tired of being tracked online? There's a simple solution. DuckDuckGo. It's an all-in-one privacy app with a built-in private search engine, web browser, one-click data clearing, email protection, and more, all for free. Download the app today and get the most comprehensive privacy protection with the push of a button. DuckDuckGo. Privacy simplified. Bradford Show. That's my open? That's what they used to call me, Swivel Hits Bradford. That's my open. I'm okay. waiting for you to so justify what? your stupid opinion. Bradford Show. That's delicious. Bradfo Show. We're back from Arizona. Alex Spear is with me alongside, and we. I just, I just want to say that I appreciate that during the intro mm. music that you were actually doing the Napoleon Dynamite dance. That made me feel good. I, it's, yeah. Well, I didn't re- even realize it was a Napoleon Dynamite music until deep, deep in the process. Until you found yourself dancing, until like, feverishly. I, until they slapped a lawsuit on me for <laughs> for music that I can't use. Anyway, um, I do want to get this out there. First of all, Alex Spear of the Boston Globe, who's going to be in here or is in here to talk about his Baseball America list, top 10 Red Sox prospects, which I always find fascinating. Spoiler alert, Wendell Riho did not make the cut this year. It was a big argument back and forth, but what with being out of the organization for several years, and I'm not sure if he's still an organized ball, it really took a hit to the old prospect status. If we, we, when we do the oral history of WEI, those five minutes on defending the <laughs> Wendell Riho pick in the top ten. No, I didn't. Let me just be clear. I did not have Wendell Riho in the top ten. Oh. Uh, that, was, that was Kerosene Ken who told me I was an idiot for having neither Pat Light nor Wendell Reho oh, really? in the top oh, ten. I didn't I realized Kerosene Ken was a Wendell Reho guy. Oh, big Reho power. I, I guy. want to I want to remind everyone, please subscribe, please review, please listen um to this podcast. And also a reminder, point of order, note that uh Tuesday, November twenty sixth at Lord Hobo Brewing Company in Woolburn, we are going to be having a podcast party. Um, the best way to storm on into Thanksgiving. You know, Alex, Tuesday before Thanksgiving is a great drinking night. Great going out night. Yeah. Get, Not get a lot of people Uber work on Wednesday. Up. Yeah. Not a lot of people work on Wednesday. I know Low I just, expectations of productivity on Wednesday. Wednesday and Friday, class reunion nights. But Tuesday, underrated time to go out. And really, really enjoy all the pod combination podcasts we have to offer. 
in person at the Lord Hobo Brewing Company. Explore your inner boom sauce, if you will. Boom sauce. They actually have a limited edition, um, and I have to look this up, but they have a limited edition holiday uh, brew, which is coming up. They're always so good at that. You have doom sauce. The doom sauce was a big hit. Absolutely. Big hit at the Spear household, yes. So, anyway, go stop on by, Alex. It's going to be fun. I wasn't invited, so, I just invited you. All right, well, we're talking show is going to be there, and uh, it's going to be quite the time. Anyway, that's just a reminder for everyone. But, as we said at the beginning, this is going to be a podcast with Alex Beer defending himself, (laughs) defending his picks of the top ten players in the Red Sox system. And um, the obviously first question – no – the first answer, the first statement in regards to this topic shall be me reading the list. Ooh, okay. Okay. Number one, Tristan Cassius. Number two, Bobby Dahlbeck. Number three, Brian Mata. Number three, Jaron Duran. Number five, Darwins and Hernandez, the 80-year-old Darwins and Hernandez. Who <laughs> knew he qualified? Uh, number six, Thad Ward. Number seven, Jay Groom. Number eight, Gilberto Gilberto Jimenez. Jimenez. I almost had it. I almost had the the Gilberto. 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 I assume. Yeah. All right. That's going to be cut out. Um, (laughs) Number nine, Noah Song, and number ten, Tanner Houck. The obvious first question for you, Alex Beer, when you're doing this list: How many years have you done this now for Baseball America? This is my seventh year. The first year was. was a loaded farm system. I feel good about the fact that I had Xander Bogarts at number one that year. I do not feel good that I had Mookie Betts behind uh, Garen Cicchini, uh and uh, and Blake Swihart. That was I spent a long time agonizing about the order of those three guys at five, six, seven, and it was Cicchini, Swihart, and uh, and. Betts. I feel like if Alex Beer looks back in his life and has any regrets, it's going to be to rate Jerry Garen Cicchini so high and Henry Owen so high. I think high. that I felt bad enough about it that, like, I think I mentioned it in the book, right? Like, I feel I feel like I had to have a first person mea culpa <laughs> in the book, like suggesting, like, how could I have been so stupid? I don't think you understand. Yeah. Great play yeah. discipline. He walks a lot. <laughs> Future batting champion. Uh, anyway, so we're we're all about the future, the here, the now, and the future. What is the toughest decision that you had in terms of leaving somebody off? Uh, there wasn't one, I would Ooh, say. That I, does I think not that bode was, well for the Red Sox. No, no. System. This was, I mean, Hauk is a really good number 10 prospect, right? Like, if he's your number 10 guy, a guy who has the floor of a big league reliever ready next year, uh, and the ceiling of being kind of a back end, uh, a back end starter who's in Triple A. That's a really good. Number I would 10. put him ahead of Jimenez. Okay, well, you would. Uh, I I get that. I, I think that there's a there's a reasonable. Well, is this argument. how it's going to go now? No, okay, no. it's your there's, prerogative to be wrong. No, no, it's not a wrong thing. Like the I've I'm not uh, I'm not dogmatic about the prospect rankings anymore. I used to really, as I alluded to, sweat over. Who belongs in which spot? Now I understand that these are all kind of pretty fluid, and it's really a question of what you value. So in terms of how, if you want to value proximity to the major leagues over a guy like Jimenez, who has the upside of being an above-average major league player, maybe an all-star, but who's years and years away and may never see the big leagues, I get it. I'm not going to push back too hard on that. <laughs> uh, the the cutoff point – So. The interesting thing was I had Hauk at number nine, but then I found out that Darwinson Hernandez had 29 big league appearances this year. Yes. And with a 30th, he would have fallen out of prospect eligibility, but he retained his prospect who, eligibility who by one. Who designates prospect eligibility? Uh, Baseball America. They do. They do. 
30 appearances 30 is, major league is appearances the Mendoza is line. The, that is the cutoff point. Who knew? Point. I, things I didn't know when oh, I woke up this morning. I, I, I wanted to see whether or not there was an exception because I was like, he was a back-end reliever for the Red Sox for the final two and a half months of the season. But, nope, he's a prospect. Clearly, clearly that's why they were holding him out for the last week, right? I, I That actually, every time he did not appear in one of those oh, this games was on your radar. in the final week of the season, I was like, oh, my God, he's actually going to be eligible. <laughs> I mean, because when I saw him on the list, I was surprised. But rules are rules. So that's great. Yeah. By the way. Makes their system look stronger, right? Speaking of rules are rules, this is going to be way off. But it's my podcast. I don't care. So you know my. <laughs> that's, the, uh, that's the subhead of your, uh, yeah, of your podcast. Bradfo Show. You, it's my podcast, so I don't you know, care. So the Hall of Fame candidates came out today, mm-hmm. right? So I was just curious. And you and I got in the in the. BBWAA at the same time, right? Yeah. Oh, after I get kicked out. Right. And so we are technically... And after years of them never refusing to allow me a- in. Acknowledge, right. right. It's a, the whole thing was flawed. So neither one of us have a Hall of Fame vote, and I have a... I seem like vocalize this a lot more at Hall of Fame time than you do, but it bothers me and because I think it's a flawed process. So I was just wondering, like, I couldn't remember when we got in. Because you have to be in for 10 years to get a Hall yeah. of Fame vote. 10 consecutive years right. to get a Hall of Fame vote. When do, when do you think we got in? Maybe 13? Does that sound 12. right? We got in because in 12? Because I, I emailed them. I said, because it could have been this year for all I know. Like, is it this time? Is it time come? Now, it seems everything's lining up. Josh Beckett's eligible, and now oh, man. I can vote for him. <laughs> but... um it's uh, but no, there. I was told that it was twelve, so it would be two thousand twenty-two. All right, which is a sad trombone once again. But Brrr. but then I get a a subsequent email from somebody we both know in the Hall of Fame out of nowhere saying, "You want to vote? Okay, just fill this out. So if you want to vote this year, Alex, me and you, Thelman <laughs> Louise, going off the cliff together. This is good news." I'm I mean, breaking this news for you this that is, you can I'm, vote. I'm for the stunned. Hall of Fame. I'm I'm jarred by this. Uh, I'm jarred by this news. This yeah. is shocking to me. Anyway, that's another point it's of intriguing. order. That's another rule that we uh, that we have uncovered today. Much like the Darwin's and Hernandez appearance rule. All right. So I would have put. And you're you're right on the money when my thinking with Tanner Houck. I'm just looking at it as is he a major going to be a major leaguer? Is he close to the major leaguers? I the this this too much. Um, of a window between where Jimenez has to go. Yeah, he was an 18-year-old in short season Lowell this year, led the New York Penn League in batting average. I think he had like 359, and that was largely driven by the fact that he's like has lightning speed. Ever heard, remember Michael Goss? Sure. Remember I do. Him? I do. Yeah, I think he hit 359 with Lowell too. Yeah. Then no, they put I, him in the shilling trade, and he lasted about another year <laughs> pro ball. Oh, the shilling trade. Yeah. But yeah. anyway, it's it's – I think it's there's no right no right or wrong way to look at this, but it, this is why this is a great conversation because as soon as I see this, I'm like everybody's talking about every. Believe me, when I say everyone, forget Tom Brady. Everyone <laughs> is talking about like should this guy go this way, this here and there, and really you look at it, and I think the Baseball America said what they had the worst farm system or classified as the worst heading into the last season and then heading halfway through the, right. the year they they jumped up to 21st cuz of the draft. Right. Well, it wasn't just the draft, but it was also I mean if you look Performance at what the, if too. you were, look at what happened with the Red Sox system this year, virtually all of their prospects uh, I would their top 6 prospects all were better by the end of the year than they had entered the year. So every one of them either performed well or developed something 
that catapulted their, that that elevated their prospect stock to a new level. Like last year, I had Bobby Dahlbeck at number one. He was able to keep performing at a high level, uh, even though the batting average doesn't, you know, it's not a batting average guy. He's an on-base guy. His power played in double-A and then triple-A at the end of the year. He was a better prospect at the end of the year than, it be, than at the beginning. Michael Chavis graduated from the prospect list. He was a better player than I anticipated entering the year and than most people uh, enter, anticipated entering the year at the big league level. That's a progressive step forward. Darwinson Hernandez was, I think, number six, number five, something like that last year. He dominated the big leagues. Like, he has one of the probably five best fastballs in Major League Baseball. So he ended up being making a progressive step forward. Uh, other guys who ended up making significant steps forward, like Jaron Duran came kind of from out of nowhere. I had him ranked in the teens last year. Boom. He's a guy who looks like maybe an everyday outfielder, if not a solid, uh, a solid fourth outfielder. Uh, Brian Mata developed a new pit, worked, reworked his arsenal this year, going from a four-seam fastball to a two-seamer, replacing a curveball with a slider, and all of a sudden he's wiping out everyone he's facing in high A uh, as a 20-year-old. So there were a lot of moves forward in terms of performance. And then on top of that, they upgraded to a degree with the draft. But remember, they didn't have a first-round pick this year, so they had to be a little bit creative in adding a guy like a Noah Song, who is a first-round talent, but who might not pitch in professional ball for the might next couple of years. Might not pitch ever again. Um, who knows? But yeah. it, what's interesting about the list is that is that these – you sort of are just articulated this – is that they're all over the place. Like the this isn't just, hey, you have a bunch of single-A players, you have a bunch of double-A players, you have a bunch of triple-A players. There is very unique cases up and down this list. Um, you mentioned some of them, but, you know, starting at the top with Tristan Cassius – this is a guy, obviously a first-round pick. Obviously, has tremendous power. Held his own at, at you know probably more than most. And yeah, he was basically the second best batter's box offensive player in out of high school from the 2018 draft this year. So for guys in their first full pro season, there was Jared, there was Jared Klenick, who was the guy who the mm-hmm. Mets absurdly traded to the Mariners for Robinson Cano and Diaz. Uh, who was just fantastic this year. And then to me, Cassis was the second best batter's box offensive player out of that draft among high schoolers. Yeah, so he's and, and if you've seen him play too, he's a unique looking guy. Like he is I think giraffe, but I sometimes no, think it's, moose. The, it's the opposite of giraffe. See, I it's super long. No, the limbs. legs. The leg like they are the the first thing that they had to do in player development for Tristan Cassis was not getting to pull up his pants so high. Like, <laughs> like we saw him in spring training. And this is, it's, when you're playing in the major league, in major league spring training game, and you had been in high school a year before, you're going to do a lot of things wrong. And if that's the worst <laughs> thing you're going to do, then that's fine. But it's, he's a very unique, and the, the, the idea of him playing third base, and I know they sort of kept saying that earlier, it was never, it's never going to happen. You, just, you could see the guy and say, that's not a third baseman. That's just not happening. He is a first baseman. That's cool. But at the same time, then you see him hit, and, okay, it all comes together. The, 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 he's a big guy who can yeah. hit the ball a long way. Massive, massive power. And it's not just pull side power. It's power to all fields, which allows him to have a good, disciplined approach at the plate. So he's not someone who's like who's cheating on pitches in order to turn and burn. He's someone who, like, 
lets the ball travel deep, and then like he's able to just shoot the you know seemingly shoot the ball down the left field line. But he's so strong, even at that age, that he's still able to drive the ball over the fence. So that's you know when you see that kind of power, he joined Xander Bogarts as one of as the only two teenagers in in the Red Sox organization at any level who hit 20 or more home runs in a season. Bogarts did it when he was 19, split between high A and double A. Cassis did it this year, spending it almost entirely in Greenville, a couple games at the end in high A Salem. Before that, you have to go back to Tony Canigliero as a Red Sox who managed as a teenager to hit 20 or more bombs. Yeah, who was all who was using a two-week-old globe and – and, and, <laughs> and, and in a ball without those, any. Those copies are valuable, yeah, my friend. I remember that. The reason I say that, I remember being as an intern for Ness and being behind the batting cage, and Richie Hebner was the hitting coach. And it was like, what are you using? A two-week-old globe? <laughs> like, like uh, what, what confidence they were instilling back then. Anyway, number two is Bobby Dahlback. And here's the question, Alex. Does Bobby Dahlbeck qualify as a prospect when we're sitting here next year? Uh, when we're sitting here next year, no. Okay. Uh, no, I think you, he, is he is he because um, I went on the pregame show with the great Will Fleming. Uh, I forget when it was toward the end of the year. I said, I'll give 99% chance that he's on the major league team coming out of spring training. He's I, you, I you shake my head. No, on 99% out of well, spring too training. Bad. All right. Your priority. I take wrong. I take your one percent. All right. So, kid, what's the, what's the scenario where he doesn't make the team? Um, well, if you look at the track record of Chaim Bloom with uh, with Tampa Bay, uh, there is a significant amount of they they approach development very deliberately. They believed in having guys. Uh, they they believed in using those. Levels in fairness, as, I said this before they had hired Chaim Bloom, though. So they, that's that's actually an interesting point because yeah. you know Dave Dombrowski cared a lot about spring training performance in terms of evaluating who should and should not be on the major league roster, and I feel like that's way less important at this point in terms of figuring but, that out. But you know what's also important, Alex, whether it's High and Bloom or Dave Dombrowski. Winning? Well, no, winning. The great game of winning. No, it's it's controlling the budget, controlling the payroll. And and when you look at the way to do that, you have to, it, you know this, I mean, you have to start integrating these sort of guys. Except that uh, controlling the budget is also a long-term sustainable question, and so you don't want to have them open. Well, in the short there. term, the, the, the non-mandate mandate is to get to this number, which seems very, very difficult to do. And there are certain positions, you know, barring the trade of whatever, we don't know what's going to happen with Mookie Betts, but this would seem an avenue to do that if you're going to pick positions in order to do that, unless you're going to trade one of the three pitchers, unless you're going to trade Mookie Betts, then it becomes different and you can go out and get that $5 million, $6 million, $7 million first baseman. Well, or $1 million first baseman, right? Like Maybe. The first base, we've, we've seen the first base market well, savage. To me, to me the move is, honestly, Alex, and I know it sort of clogs up your roster a little bit, but... Hey, Mitch Moreland, come on back. Come on back for a couple mil. Yeah, Moreland, you know, Moreland, Smoke are kind of interesting candidates to be, you know, Smoke's going to make more than... Eh, like, what's he coming off of? You know, like, we've seen guys in that, playing in that pool, who just don't make money, right? Like, that's part of the reason why the Steve Pierce signing was so puzzling, that he was getting six and a half mil for for being a a right-handed platoon player. Um, Yeah, I think... You're right. I mean, I, I don't know if I put it at 99%. I don't think this, I don't think we can rule it out, though. And and especially when you look at you know, the progress that he made, not only in the Meyer Leagues, but, 
you know, the progress that he made being around the coaching staff this year in September and then how he handled himself in in the international tournament. So um, he's he's right there. I mean, he's he's close. He's close to major league ready. He's right. I I would agree with that. I I still think that who do you think is going to be a better player? Him or Michael Chavis? Uh, I would bet on I would bet on Dahlbeck because I mean on another team he could be uh, he could be an everyday third baseman defensively. Yeah, he's good defensively. He is solid defensively thir- at third base, and I don't think that Chavis profiles. Chavis is Chavis is still looking for that ideal position. I think he actually exceeded a lot of expectations in terms of overall athleticism. Um, but yeah, he I don't wasn't know that, a bad second baseman. Yeah, he handled him. He comported himself well, and you yeah, know, shifts kind of. Yeah. Uh, allowed him to be pretty playable at that position, uh, but he's not a guy with a ton of. Th- he he wasn't a guy who had a ton of range at that position. Um, I just think that Dahlbeck is more likely to have sustainable, solid on base percentage. Uh, the power is going to be pretty big for both of them, um, but I think that I, I think that Dahlbeck's approach will play a little bit better. Uh, and allow him to be more consistent as a power hitter, and he's a slightly better defender. I think it's going to be a – we have no idea how the roster is going to be constructed, but it's going to be an intro – that is going to be one of the spring training storylines, Alex, if nothing else. That is good. It's that'll, been, that'll keep us busy. Oh, God, we need some spring training storylines. Yeah, lines. we do. Uh, number three is Brian Mata, and you had sort of gone through a little bit of how he changed things and how he jumped. Um, one of the things that I surprised me, and you know Mata better than I do, I'll admit that, is that you know talking to um, Corey Wimberly from the Arizona Fall League, mm-hmm. and he's saying you know this guy is blowing guys away with a 99 mile an hour fastball, and and every time Mata's name came up, it was always oh this guy with good control and good off speed stuff and everything else, and I understand a big part of that was he was pitching one inning at a whack, but I mean, that's that's a pretty big jump for him. Well, he had been he had been topping out at ninety seven pretty regularly as a starter, so I don't think that getting up to ninety nine was a huge shock um, in the AFL. He's this is a guy with a big arm. There's no question about it, and that's why that power mix of the you know being heavy on two seam fastballs, which just worked better for his arm action as opposed to the four seamer, where he kind of had to elevate his arm slot and it just like wasn't comfortable why am i not taking video of you doing yeah this right no it's now. a terrible mistake on your part because i'm doing the napoleon dynamite dance <laughs> and people would be swooning um yeah it uh, it worked well like that power two seam slider combination worked really well for a guy who has an arm that you know a quick arm that throws hard and he's he's a big dude and uh and so there's there's just there's stuff and that's another good spring, spring training storyline by the way I, I believe that there will be some interest in the one to two early starts that he makes Listen, before the, getting. You know uh, who the big winner is? AM radio. Ooh. Because when I'm broadcasting on 850, talking about Brian Mata's coming in, I won't have to tell my Gorky Hernandez story anymore. <laughs> those two innings are going to carry through. You know, you can you can talk about di- dissect those two oh, innings my for goodness. several. Oh, it's so good. Um, so there's going to be a few of those guys who are going to pop up and going to make sort of spring training more interesting. Another one is going to be Jaron Duran, number four. Um, just seeing him play, you know, I know the Ellsbury comparisons have popped up and everything else, and he dominated single A, and then he got called up to double A, struggled out of the gate, but seemed to turn some things around. He, I mean, he, he stole 28 bases. I know this is 46. Like, I think it was 28 bases for Portland. Yeah, uh, 28 for uh, for Salem, I think. We'll look it up. Okay. You go look it up. No, no. I, no, I you look, you, no, you look it up. Whatever. He stole a bunch of bases. Stole a lot of bases. And he also wanted to be a Navy SEAL. 
And um, he he's an interesting guy because the, the reality they have right now in this system, we talk so much about lack of developing pitchers and not being able to develop pitchers. But really, like, with outfielders, especially for a team that has to get rid of some outfielders, right? this guy becomes a pretty important guy. I totally agree. And I was having that conversation very recently that – you know, with the questions surrounding the future of Mookie Betts, the, the questions surrounding Jackie Bradley Jr., the questions surrounding whether or not you want to consider Andrew Benintendi as a trade chip. Uh, yeah, Jaron Duran's future becomes pretty significant. Um, and, you know, it's not uncommon for uh, for college players in their first full pro season to kind of hit a wall that coincides roughly with where they get promoted from high A to double A. Um, so whether or not that's what Duran experienced or whether or not it was a league adjustment question that he was facing and, you know, getting more familiar with uh, with the kind of pitching arsenals that he was going to see in double A. That's a pretty significant question. But there, so I think that there's pretty solid conviction across the scouting community that he's going to be at least a fourth outfielder. The Red Sox kind of need him to be an everyday guy. <laughs> Some people believe that he's going to be an everyday guy. But, uh, yeah, because of exactly those questions surrounding who's in their outfield a couple of years from now, that's a pretty significant development. Guy. And here's the thing though, Alex, is that the way that he, the player that he is now, which is a speed guy hits with average, except for when, when he's in Portland at double a, um, you know, is that the guy where, you know, you're replacing, I'm not saying he's going to be Mookie Betts or even Jackie Bradley, but you would like to see some power. You would like to see some impacting the baseball yeah. a little bit from the guy who is going to be a regular in your lineup. Yeah, it's uh, right. Right now it's a power-driven game, yes. right? Like you have an average player probably hits, you know, an, a, a baseline standard at just about any position is like, oh, you didn't manage it 15, 18 home runs? Oh, that's why Benintendi's like power deficiency was so glaring this year, right? Um, yeah. So, which, it's, by the way, now he, you know, it's 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 the conundrum that a lot of these guys are having because, and you hope that a guy like Jaron Duran doesn't get seduced by the whole "I have to hit with power." Right. I have to because Benintendi did. Benintendi, yes, yes, there you yeah. go. But Benintendi did. I mean, he did this this year. He admitted at the end of the year. Absolutely, he said, you know, listen, you know, I came in heavy. I came in, you know, my athleticism went out the door because I wanted to hit home runs. Yep. And you know what? That that did not translate well. Yeah, I think that Duran had probably more home run power than he showed in the minors this year. He only hit a, a handful. He's a strong kid. He's His dad really is strong. His dad too. is super. Yeah, I, I totally agree. That was like a, oh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, what's going on? But, uh, but, yeah, Duran, I think he played in a really big park in Salem, so that suppressed his home run power. Um, he played in some cold weather in Portland, also suppressed some home run, some potential home run power. Uh, we'll we'll get a truer read on where he is from a power development standpoint next season. All right, number five. I mean, Darwin's and Hernandez. We know, you know, it's okay. He's in the bullpen. He's in the bullpen. And he's a great late innings arm. He's he's. Do you think they're going to add anything at all to the bullpen? Uh, other than like the Colton Brewer type of guy. I, I mean, I'm not saying like that level of production, but. In, let's say invest in anything in the bullpen. Yeah, I don't know that we'll see free agent acquisitions. I think that like maybe as part of a deal, a second or third component to a deal, we could see a bullpen arm. Like, I just I think that you're they're looking for marginal upgrades. And if you look at the way that the that the Rays piece together a bullpen with so many different looks, different arm angles, different velocities, different you know different kinds of breaking balls, I, I would I would think that we'll see a bit more diversity in the bullpen in terms of how they'll be able to attack it. 
opposing teams. They do have an extra roster spot. Yes. Rule change. That's a whole other podcast. Uh, number six, Thad Ward. I think that Thad Ward is a guy in the list who probably the the average Red Sox fan it doesn't really know about, doesn't really know the name. Um, he is, in case people don't know, he's a fifth-round pick out of Central Florida, 2018 draft. His his numbers, there's a reason why he got minor league pitch of the year, right? I mean, he had a combined ERA of 2.14, over 157 innings last year um, between Greenville and Salem. But tell me, tell me your view, because I'm really anxious to hear about it, because I don't, I'm like a lot of people. Like I didn't see. I've seen some of these other guys pitch. I haven't seen Thad Ward pitch. Yeah, he was. I think surprising this year. He came out of in central at Central Florida. He had been mostly pitching out of the bullpen, just a handful of starts. Um, when he was in Lowell at the end of 2018, uh, his stuff was a little bit flat. He was tired at the at the end of his college season, so he was mostly working like 90, 92, 93. Came back spring training. He's like throw it. He's working. 93 is a baseline, getting up to 96 regularly, tops out at 97 with, again, this is this is interesting. In the Red Sox system, you're starting to see more guys with the two-seamer slider mix. So that's what he entered with, but he added to that a cutter that um, kind of like the Adam Adovino combination of two-seam cutter as well, uh, two-seam cutter and slider where, like, the pitches look enough alike that they tunnel really well and create this interesting amount of deception that, in turn, makes it difficult to make hard contact. Have and, you ever seen Thad Ward pitch in person? Uh, I have. I saw him pitch a little bit in spring training. Um, was, but he I t- not... was he tunneling in front of your eyes? <laughs> right before my very <laughs> eyes. <laughs> Magic right before my very eyes. Uh, yes. So, um, so, anyway, he created a lot of deception, you know, no one squared him up this past year, and he struck out a bunch of guys. I mean, yeah. I mean, what it, do you... It's an A ball in high A, so you want to see him challenged against the upper levels. But in terms of a baseline year and in terms of kind of pitch data stuff, he, he presented pretty well. Here's the thing, Alex. He's a pitcher who has a potential of being good. Of being a Red starting Sox pitcher. Was, right. Yeah. And, and we know the problem, the issues they have. It was funny. I was doing an interview, and I told you I was doing an interview in Pittsburgh about Sherrington, and they asked, like, which do you think he does a better job of, developing hitters or pitchers? I'm like, that's a pretty easy one. <laughs> I got this yeah, one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and obviously that's not just him, but, you know, results are results. It's a results business, and they're still looking for Although he pitcher. was farm director when they developed the pipeline of Lester Buckles. No, you know, that's, that, yeah. that's fair. I mean, yeah. but it's, you know. It's a different – developing this, pitchers is so different right now. Well, now he's funny. Now the Cubs are taking heat for it, yeah. right, where – you had this this narrative with the Cubs before about what they are doing is they're developing the position of players and, and supplementing then, and, and, with yeah, pitchers and they're letting the, the other organizations develop the pitchers and then they go trade for them and sign with. Well, as we found out, like you have to develop something. Or I you, mean, it, it would really help if you develop something. It's it's interesting because you know you find that the you know that the Cubs you know that the Cubs Astros and Red Sox all. I'll follow that formula though. Develop position players, get the get the pitchers from the starting pitchers from outside the organization. The Nats were pretty heavy on that too, frankly, except for Strasburg. Well, I mean, they paid a crap load of money for the top, top all of three. them. Yes, all that's, of them. That's how it works. That's how it. That's, that's how, how it worked. You just got to make sure you pay. Better the, have a Juan Soto you available better, well, for well, you know, six hundred k. You better make sure you pay the right top th- three pitchers. Yes, 
the money. I mean, that's this isn't not to get too deep in the weeds in terms of what happened this past season, but it's not complicated. The Astros and the Nationals paid an obscene amount of money for their top three starters. Good return on investment. That, from and those the Red Sox guys. tried the same thing, and it didn't work out. Zeroed out. Yep. There you go. Number seven, Jay Groom. Jay Groom is the – we think he's going to be good, and we, we think so strongly he's going to be good. He is number seven on this list. Um, six foot six, 220 pounds, lefty, but in his pro career has just been hurt a lot. Yep. And this – am I incorrect in saying Jay Groom, number seven, because we really think he's going to be good? If – if you saw him at the right time in spring training of 2018, he looked like the best prospect in their system easily. Uh, and that was the last time that he was pitching before Tommy John surgery with health. Um, so it's kind of a he stays in he stays on the list because because there's a reasonably confident there's reasonable confidence in terms of how pitchers return from Tommy John, but he's down there because uh, because regaining that stuff is no guarantee and. We have to see him. Did you want to put him season. higher? Did you want I to put debated. him in front of Thad Ward? I debated it, um, but ultimately that With was who? Uh, who myself you? and others. You know, I, members of the scouting community, okay. member of the talent evaluation community. Like I, I, I vet this. You do, you Rob. Vet it? I do, I do. I go over this. I, I like to get. Uh, Don't I like vet to get it too much. Have have some faith in yourself. Mm. Don't vet it too much. We should all read the wisdom of crowds, Rob. Yeah. Well, I know. Believe yeah. me, I know. Yeah. Believe me, I know, Alex. Uh, number eight, Jimenez, the the Gilberto aforementioned, yep. aforementioned Gilberto Jimenez, outfielder, nineteen years old. They signed for only ten thousand dollars signing bonus. Good job, but same deal with Mata. Mata well, was like same a deal with Darwin's and Hernandez. Ten grand. Good job yep. on scouting, and uh, hit three fifty nine, eight sixty three OPS in fifty nine games. Once again, nineteen years old. Um, speedy guy, and uh, you know, for it comes back to the original conversation about outfielders. So, you know, they, they hope they better hope that this guy hits. And it's a ways off, I understand, but it is it is something that I think people do not pay attention. They pay so much attention to the pitchers. You have some big decisions about outfielders coming up, and it would sure help this organization if you could just have the next Benintendi. Well, as, as, I, so here's uh, yeah. the one objection I have okay. is that I think that we're entering into a time where they just need talent because High and Bloom is going to be trading left and right in order to you know I, I think that you're going to see you're you're going to see him trading from areas that are that I don't think that you're going to see him being shy necessarily about prospect for prospect trades. Um, I, I think that you're going to see – you just need the guy. You just need talented players. And if you have that, then you're going to be able to uh, to have – you know, you are going to make trades for other guys who are controllable to address the needs. Can I ask you this? When you talk about trading for prospects or trading prospects, one of the things that even the ownership group did this with when they talk about Dave Dombrowski, about that whole narrative about he traded away young players, Right. But I always ask the question, okay, tell me the players that he traded away where you said, oh, my goodness, I can't believe they don't have him. Yeah, so Yomankata is the no, only obvious right. one. Yomankata, Kopech. Kopech is, you know, Kopech, we'll see when he's coming back from Tommy John. And then, like, the the I think that 
there are a couple of kind of quote-unquote rounding errors in terms of depth trades. They didn't need to include Logan Allen in the trade for Craig Kimbrell, but they wanted to get the deal done, so they ended up sacrificing a guy who has a chance to be a big league starter. Uh, There was internal organizational disagreement uh, or at least – um, debate about whether or not like they should trade Jalen Beeks for Nate Evaldi. Yeah, uh, that worked out pretty well for the Red Sox. So I, I think that the idea that you know Dombrowski mortgaged the future with but, individual but we're trades. We're talking is... about Logan Allen and Jalen yeah. Beeks, and and Manuel Margot. You know this this would be another guy. People before, oh my goodness, how can you trade Manuel Margot? Like he's he's what you know he yeah. what's what's he's not going to be a guy even right now. Somewhere he's probably like Jaron Duran. You know he, they, that isn't that different different in profile. And so it, I'm glad that I think that you think along the same lines as me because this is it wasn't a matter of the individual guys they parted with. It was kind of the bulk in, in okay. individual trades great. wrapping up three prospects at a All time, right, great four I mean, prospects at a time, and then and then you lose and then you have so you say like okay it's Jalen Beeks okay it's Logan Allen. Well, where did where else did the Red Sox pitching collapse this year? It was the underperformance of the of the guys who they gave a ton of money to, and then the inability the to depth. backfill. Sure, right? yeah, but it's but at the same time, you got <laughs> you 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 got Kimbrel, you got Evaldi, sure, you got much more important guys, and you're and we're we're focusing in on oh maybe that guy can give you some depth, you know, this, which is it would be the same thing as saying saying how could you trade Brian Johnson in that deal because he was the depth guy a year before. Sure. It, yeah, so anyway, that that whole thing drove, drove me sort of nuts, but whatever. It's going to be interesting to see what Bloom does um, in terms of I do think that you're right. I th- think what we're going to see is the priority of we talked about Colton Brewers, the Colton when there was one Colton Brewer before, now there's going to be three or four. Yeah, well, we already saw a waiver claim of Josh Ochich. Oh, Ocich, my God. Who could forget you know, that? Yeah. <laughs> Josh, Josh. You know, this is... This what is are they going to they... do with the new rules? He's a lefty specialist. Ah! This is, you know, this is where, like, you know, this is a lot of what the Rays did in terms of bullpen building. And so I, I do think that there's, there's just a, a kind of constant interest in figuring out ways of upgrading any spot on the roster and in terms of, of figuring out ways of, you know, of better addressing the overall shape of the roster Rather than being like, okay, these are our guys. Let's supplement in mm. these one or two spots. Number nine, Noah Song. Noah Song is a guy, and correct me if I'm wrong, Alex. If he did not have this uncertainty regarding his future of ever throwing a baseball again, um, that he would be higher in the list. He would at least be top four. Yes. Yeah, I would. I would have him certainly ahead of Duran. I think, and uh, and. You know, which is saying something because Duran's a pretty good player who's already reached the upper levels. Uh, yeah, uh, Song's four-pitch mix looks like that of a mid-rotation starter. Um, he's he's an impressive dude. The the quote that jumped out, and I probably over-utilized or over-aggregated myself a bunch of the times <laughs> using this. but No. I, I, no, I would never do that um, <laughs> using the same podcast over and over and over again. But the um, – Remind, I'm drawing a blank. Pitching coach for the spinners. Uh, that would be Nick Green. Nick Green. Nick Green. Where I said, who does he remind you of? And he said, ah, I don't want to say. That. Okay, I'll say. And it was, it was, you know, he, Nick Green, had a hand in Michael Kopech. It's like when I stood behind him, I saw the same fastballs, Michael Kopech, the 110 mile an hour Michael Kopech. And really, we were looking at song that way about, oh my goodness, he throws 110. But the whole idea is way, the way that the fastball comes out of his hand. And for a guy who is familiar with the Mike, the pitcher everyone identified with having an electric fastball, 
and Noah Song being that guy, that to me told me something of because he wasn't he wasn't just throwing out. Oh, he reminds me of uh, young Thad Ward. Yeah, you know, no, it's it was this guy. There is a reason the the stat which I always a stat or fact that I always come back to is that the Golden Spikes Award finalists there were four guys. Yep, he was one of them, and the other three were top five picks in yeah. the draft. Yeah, he was dominant in college. I, you know the. He honestly, like in the premier 12 tournament that we just saw, I actually thought that his fastball was, I I was a little surprised because he had great velocity, you know, 96 to 98, touch 99. I thought it was straighter than I was expecting. And I thought that hitters got a better read on it than I was expecting. But, you know, it's a pretty good ball of clay to work with when you have 96 to 98 or 99, especially because, you know, underutilized off of that were the secondary pitches. And he has a really good changeup that he doesn't use a lot. He has a curveball that when he threw it was like, oh, my gosh, that thing just dropped. That, it was a pretty good power-breaking ball. Uh, he has a slider that was very effective and got swings and misses when he used it um, against advanced international competition. So there's a lot to work with there that would, you know, that that's impressive. How good was it to see Esteban Curaz again? You know, it was. It reminded me of Wu Tang Clan reunited, double LP, all excited. What up, Esteban? Struck a match to the yeah, underground. Yeah, are but, you uh, taller than Jose Altuve? Who knows? <laughs> yeah, uh, it was. It was magical. Yeah, he was so, really good in that tournament. I hope. I hope that no one saw him pitches again. I hope that. I hope he's safe in all his uh, endeavors in the Navy, of course. But and you know, he's he's clearly like this. Just got a very great perspective. Yeah, on everything. Extraordinary individual. Oh, unbelievable! Like this, the uh, you know, if I ever pitch again, great. If I don't, great. This has already found money, right? Because right. he went to college, he went to the Naval Academy, thinking that he was never going to pitch professionally because he was like throwing in the mid to high eighties and didn't yeah. have anything else he was throwing. Uh, number ten is the guy we mentioned before, Tanner Houck. So I asked you the question about Dahlbeck about him being classified as a prospect next year. I think this is another good one. Tanner Houck, yes or no? I will go yes prospect next year. He is going to match Darwinson Hernandez with 29 appearances in the big leagues this year. So you think he's going to be a reliever? Uh, No, I think he's going to do a little of both. You think when he gets called up to the majors, will he? you think he'll be a reliever? I think you'll see maybe a couple of spot starts early in the year, and then you'll see relief late in the year. Okay. The thing is, is that, you know, obviously Houck is sort of on the cusp here. But when you're looking at the Red Sox, and we don't know how this is going to shake out. Maybe they'll tra- manage to trade one of the high-priced guys. But right now, as you sit here, you have one spot. And I know the bullpen by committee or, or I mean, I'm sorry, the, the Opener? star- openers and star- stuff like that. But it's really hard to see them saying, "Okay, Tanner Houck, go get him in that other spot." No, I don't. I and again, like Chaim Bloom's track record in Tampa Bay is you let the pitchers develop a long time at every level to ensure that they're not just being thrown into the deep end when they haven't learned how to like tread water. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. And, you know, he he wasn't like he was in AAA all last year. It's, no, it was late in the season, and it was mostly out of the bullpen. So there's still more. To, he's someone who needs to make progress in terms of how he spots his slider. He has to figure out, and he also has to figure out who he is, Alex. Yeah, who he does. He is. Don't we all? Well, I mean, because they did the whole thing. I thought it was interesting at the time 
when they drafted him and they said, you know what, we drafted you not for the pitcher you are, but the pitcher we think you're gonna we're gonna morph you into, and that didn't really take. Did not. No. They said no, no. Go back to being go back to being who you are. Yeah. Sometimes it's just sometimes in baseball, Alex. It's, it's just an exercise the, in self discovery. Well, it's also a lot of overthinking. It just <laughs> is. I'm sorry. That's just, also part of the self discovery. It just is. Um, who was number eleven? Uh, so I uh, I think that the guys who I was wrestling with the most. This wasn't final, but before Darwinson Hernandez moved everyone down, uh, I was considering both C.J. Chatham, mm-hmm. who was playing for uh, in the Premier Twelve tournament, second shortstop, second baseman. Does uh, is he prospect next year? Uh, or is he major leaguer? I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Oh, you the don't game, like the story has yet to be. I don't like predictions. You know that. Um, and uh, and uh, the other guy was uh, was Murphy, Chris Murphy, out of uh, who had pitched in Lowell. This year was a well, six-round draft Wilson. pick. Uh, he's a little further down, not too far away. I think that he'll he's be an outfielder. Yeah, he is. He was acquired in the trade for uh, in the trade for uh, for Blake Swihart. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, all right. Well, good job again. Oh, excellent job. Great job by you, Rob. And again, thanks for dancing. Well, and also you can thank me for getting you your Hall of Fame vote. Which this is, is you're very. I mean, I think you're stunned by that. This I, I, I don't. Even I literally know how have to not talked to you about this. No, no, I don't know how I have. This is amazing. I don't know. Right? I I got this because you know why. I think the pressure that I put on them finally got to them. The boom sauce. Maybe the it boom, was the maybe. It was well, this is sauce. much like it's much like the Burt Blylove and how he got got in the Hall of Fame. Which <laughs> this is, is how we got if, into the vote. If you keep complaining about it, you're ultimately going to get in. <laughs> I think been, the same thing happened here. It's it is a it is a great day. Pop the champagne, Rob. You ready? Are you ready to vote though? I don't know. Seems like I, I, I was ready. A lot no, of your docket already. I'm I'm a little bit intimidated. If I, I'm still I, I'm still not sure that I'm in your bucket, right? Because you're in the bucket. Oh, uh, you had the previous time you're, that got disallowed. No, I even met, you're in the bucket. We'll talk buckets again next All time. Right. I'm on. All right. Well, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Rob. Bye. Keep your car looking its absolute best year-round with 303 Cleaners and Protectants. 303's revolutionary graphene nanospray coating gives you professional protection in a simple, easy-to-use formula. It will keep your car's paint protected for up to 12 months and give an insane level of depth and gloss. You can also use their brand-new 303 graphene detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine throughout the year. It can even be used for quick cleanups of light dust and fingerprints in between washes. For a one-two punch to keep your car looking its best, look no further than 303's line of graphene products. 303 Graphene Nano Spray Coating to protect and 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine. Both products are available now at Advanced Auto Parts, AutoZone, and select Walmart locations. Visit 303radio.com for more information. Every search you make, every click you take, they'll be watching you. Tired of companies like Google and Facebook watching everything you do online? There's actually a simple solution. DuckDuckGo. It's an all-in-one privacy app with a built-in private search engine, web browser, one-click data clearing, email protection, and more. All for free. Download the app today and get the most comprehensive privacy protection with a push of a button. DuckDuckGo. Privacy simplified. 
We turn the spotlight onto all the biggest plays across the league with coverage of every single game and access to exclusive stats and content for your favorite teams. MLB Big Inning brings fans exclusive live look-ins and breaking highlights every single day. Catch select pre- and post-game coverage or check out new MLB originals for a deeper dive into your favorite teams and ballparks. Subscribe now at MLB.tv and start streaming. That's MLB.tv. Blackout and other restrictions apply. 